0: As moderator for tonight's
1: broadcast. I'm your moderator Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, hey, you got a nice pair there, Joe. It's time for Friday, February twelfth, twenty twenty-one. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator, or join the discussion thread at t.me slash Be Reasonable Discussion. Also, I'm occasionally on Gab, and I'm your moderator. So today is the 23rd full day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden who's overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party and more than happy to say whatever they want about COVID, or their concentration camps, or his son's business dealings. But that's not all. Joe Biden is also the patriarch of one of the country's most corrupt and worst families, and the father of a truly despicable human. And apparently His nose is falling off. So congratulations, America. You did it. A little news today. And then we go right into the impeachment. We're just going to slip and slide right on in there. So it's another bad day for another terrible communist dictator. And by that, I mean a governor, not Joe Biden this time. Because Joe Biden is really just a, uh, a cardboard cutout. He's like the seemingly legitimate front for a dictatorship that is certainly not run by him. But Andrew Cuomo is responsible for his own dictatorship. And Cuomo's having a very bad week, just like Gavin. Cuomo's not up for recall yet, but there are calls for him to be brought up on federal charges, which is fantastic because he deserves them. And I've been saying this for a good nine months now. But let's go to the New York Post and see what they say. Headline, Cuomo aide Melissa DeRosa admits they hid nursing home data so feds wouldn't find out. Governor Andrew Cuomo's top aide privately apologized to Democratic lawmakers for withholding the state's nursing home death toll from COVID-19, telling them, quote, we froze out of fear that the true numbers would be, quote, used against us by federal prosecutors, the Post has learned. Well, that's interesting. Why wasn't she apologizing in public? Why wasn't she apologizing to the families of the people who died from Andrew Cuomo's obviously terrible policy? And let's not forget, Cuomo did it because he has a very, very close financial relationship with the long-term care homes in New York State. Am I making that up? Of course not. Why haven't you heard it before? Well, you weren't listening to this podcast last May, I guess. The stunning admission of a cover-up was made by Secretary to the Governor Melissa DeRosa during a video conference call with state Democratic leaders in which she said the Cuomo administration had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August because right around the same time, and this part is a quote, right around the same time Then-President Donald Trump turns this into a giant political football, end quote, according to an audio recording of the two-hour-plus meeting. Quote, he starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing homes, DeRosa said. He starts going after New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, starts going after California Governor Gavin Newsom, starts going after Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, end quote. In addition to attacking Cuomo's fellow Democratic governors, DeRosa said Trump, quote, directs the Department of Justice to do an investigation into us, end quote. And basically we froze, she told lawmakers on the call. Because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if what we were going to give the Justice Department or what we give to you guys, what we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. DeRosa added, quote, that played a very large role into this. Now, let's pause from the article for a second and take in what this person is saying. She is saying in a private phone call, conference call, video call, with people on her team, New York State Democrats, that they withheld the information that they had in August because they were worried that it would be used against them as a political football. First off, we are supposed to understand that it was necessary for them to withhold that information because otherwise, Trump would have scored political points on it. Well, if you're worried about political points, Being scored by the opposition based on something you actually did, correctly described, perhaps you shouldn't do that thing, and perhaps you shouldn't be in office, because your incompetence and your dishonesty actually did cost lives. That's kind of important to remember here. And then let's focus on the dates. I talked about this in August that they actually pushed their handing over of those numbers to November 5th. And I remember this date because I was focused on this. Because this has been a problem for the entire run of this COVID nonsense. It actually does matter that Andrew Cuomo intentionally withheld this information from his own government, and from federal investigators until after the election was over. That is corruption at the highest level. And what's worse is that there were people that needed that information in the science community who should have had access to it. Why didn't they? Aren't we told that the data is all that matters? then why do you get to skew the data or hide the data when it doesn't make you look good? She is admitting, admitting that they used COVID as a political football. Trump was correct. Trump was pointing out something that actually is very, very important to that issue and to public policy. And, and to the residents of New York State who had to just suck it up and get gaslit every day by their government as their own relatives died because of Andrew Cuomo's policies. And this doesn't matter. All that matters to the Cuomo team is whether or not Trump would be able to score political points. So when I have said a million times that the Democrats are exploiting COVID for their own political benefit, for their own ascension to power, for their own retention of power, this is exactly what I've been talking about. And for this, I was called a conspiracy theorist. No one believed... That good old Andrew Cuomo could be so neglectful of his own citizens, have such disdain for normal people that he would lie and cover up something so critical. You can't believe that. Andrew Cuomo, everybody knows he's a great guy. Look at his paper mache mountain, look at his book that someone else wrote so that he could launder some money. Look at his fucking Emmy from these Hollywood communists whose heads are so far up their own asses that even basic understandings of good and evil are now totally inaccessible to them. An Emmy for this man because he went on TV every day and lied to people. And when someone would challenge him, he would be mean to them. Because everybody knows Donald Trump is the bad guy. So if you punish a reporter as a Democrat for doing their actual job, which they so rarely do, that's a a show of strength and a show of commitment to the science and the data and the cause. Let me read DeRosa's last sentence again before we get into the rest of the article. DeRosa added, that played a very large role into this. I mean, in this. Proper English, who cares? After dropping the bombshell, DeRosa asked for, quote, a little bit of appreciation of the context, end quote and offered what appears to be the Cuomo administration's first apology for its handling of nursing homes amid the pandemic. But instead of a mea culpa to the grieving families of more than 13,000 dead seniors or the critics who say the health department spread COVID-19 in the care facilities, with a March 25th state health department directive that nursing homes admit infected patients, DeRosa tried to make amends with the fellow Democrats for the political inconvenience it caused them. Quote, so we do apologize, she said. I do understand the position that you were put in. I know that it is not fair. It was not our intention to put you in that political position with the Republicans. Again, this person is more concerned with making sure that the Democrats in New York don't get hurt by the Republicans in New York for what they willfully covered up. She is actively trying to excuse their behavior while apologizing to the people who may have been hurt by it politically. Wrong apology, lady. Assembly Health Committee Chairman Richard Gottfried immediately rejected DeRosa's expression of remorse, according to the recording. I don't have enough time today to explain all the reasons why I don't give that any credit at all, said Gottfried, one of the lawmakers who demanded the death toll data in August. State Senate Aging Committee, well, okay, Chairwoman Rachel May who was battered during her re-election bid last year over the issue of nursing home deaths also ripped into DeRosa, saying her former opponent had launched another broadside earlier in the day. "Quote, and the issue for me, the biggest issue of all is feeling like I needed to defend or at least not attack an administration that was appearing to be covering something up," she said. And in a in a pandemic, when you want the public to trust the public health officials and there is this clear feeling that they're not coming being forthcoming with you that is really hard and it remains difficult end quote another new york politician primarily concerned about her reputation and how she was going to communicate with the public well other lady Ms. May, you also do not have the right priorities. Your voters shouldn't trust you. That's the thing. Because you give them no reason to trust you. You failed at getting the information they needed, that you should have had access to, and you didn't stand up to your governor because your governor is an asshole. You want to talk about political punishment? Donald Trump had no problem speaking out against former allies, people he thought were allies. But the reason he did that is not, as the media always suggests, that they didn't do what he wanted them to do. It was that it became clear to Trump, and now obviously to everybody else, we all understand it, That those officials were betraying their oaths to the Constitution and to the American people. Not to Donald Trump. That's not what he was concerned about. The people he let go of, people like John Bolton, for instance. Those people were actively working against the good of the public for the benefit of the old guard. That's why Donald Trump doesn't like them. Andrew Cuomo would have punished these state representatives because they would be putting him in a difficult position. So he held back the data, even from his own team. Assemblyman Ron Kim, who took part in the call, told the Post on Thursday that DeRosa's remarks sounded, quote, like they admitted that they were trying to dodge having any incriminating evidence that might put the administration or the health department in further trouble with the Department of Justice, end quote. And another quote from Kim, that's how I understand their reasoning of why they were unable to share in real time the data, Kim said. They had to first make sure that the state was protected against federal investigation. Again, they're making sure the state was protected against a federal investigation because they were guilty of what the investigation could have found and could have charged. Kim, whose uncle is presumed to have died of COVID-19 in a nursing home in April, also said he wasn't satisfied with DeRosa's apology. It's not enough how contrite they are with us, he said. They need to show that to the public and the families, and they haven't done that. You're right about that, Mr. Kim. In addition to stonewalling lawmakers on the total number of nursing home residents killed by COVID-19, Cuomo's administration refused requests from the news media, including The Post, and fought a freedom of information lawsuit filed by the Empire Center on Public Policy. Instead, it only disclosed data on the numbers of residents who died in their nursing homes. But after State Attorney General Letitia James last month released a damning report that estimated the deaths of nursing home residents and hospitals would boost the grim tally by more than 50%, Health Commissioner Howard Zucker finally released figures showing the combined total was 12,743 as of January 19th. Just a day earlier, the Department of Health was only publicly acknowledging 8,711 deaths in nursing homes. In a Wednesday letter to lawmakers, Zucker said the total number of nursing home residents killed by COVID-19 had increased to 13,297. That number jumps to 15,049 when assisted living and adult care facilities are factored in. The controversy generated by James's report led to an infamous news conference at which Cuomo callously dismissed the matter of where nursing home fatalities actually took place who cares if they died in the hospital, died in a nursing home? They died, he said. During Wednesday's conference call, DeRosa said it appeared the DOJ was no longer focused on New York's nursing home deaths. All signs point to they are not looking at this. They've dropped it, she said. Again, before the election, I can't say how many times because it was countless. I said that Joe Biden getting into office, even in the illegitimate way he has for now, would effectively cover up all of the crimes of Democrats throughout COVID, throughout the Russian collusion scandal, throughout Mueller. Throughout the impeachment hoax, the first one, obviously the second one, and everything the Democrats did with Black Lives Matter Antifa as they supported domestic terrorism and encouraged it, all this would be covered up because Joe Biden would never pursue it. And what do we have here? Joe Biden never pursuing it. They never formally opened an investigation. They sent a letter asking a number of questions, and then we satisfied those questions, and it appears that they're gone. Another quote from DeRosa, by the way. In a prepared statement, Cuomo spokesman, rich as a party, said, rich has a party. <laughs> Dude, that's a fantastic name. Rich as a party. Rich as a party. Rich as a party. God damn, this is awesome. What a great name. He said, quote, we explained that the Trump administration was in the midst of a politically motivated effort to blame Democratic states for COVID deaths and that we were cooperating with the federal document productions. And that was the priority. And now that it is over, we can address the state legislature. That said, we were working simultaneously To complete the audit of information they were asking for, he said. The DOJ declined to comment. Of course, the DOJ declined to comment. What are they going to say? We have no concerns about this? No. We are pursuing this? No. Because one of them is a lie. And one of them is bad politically. They made it quite clear that they held the numbers back because the Trump administration was busy exposing the truth. Trump wasn't lying. Trump wasn't wrong. And it wasn't a conspiracy. It was the truth. And Andrew Cuomo was mad that they told it. Now, it seems that 14 Democrats in New York State are prepared to strip Governor Cuomo of the emergency powers that he assumed for himself when the pandemic started. Oops. What will happen then? It's nice to see some Democrats standing up. Let's see if they actually do it and follow through. I have my doubts for good reason, but maybe they'll do it. Now let's talk about Joe Biden's deputy press secretary, T.J. Cucklow. I mean, Ducklow. Now, you might remember Cucklow from back in September, I believe September 10th. He appeared on Fox News with Brett Baer, and you can just Google T.J. Ducklow, Brett Baer. You can even try Cucklow. It'll probably correct it to Ducklow, and then you're good. It's just more fun to type that way. But he was asked by Brett Baer whether or not Joe Biden had been reading his interview answers from a teleprompter. And he refused to answer that simple question. He dodged and dodged and dodged. He actually is incredibly stupid. Like watching it is almost mind-blowing that any person with an adult-sized brain could even attempt what he did. And of course, he got away with it because, you know the media. I'm not saying that Brett Baer let him get away with it. Brett Baer pressed him on it. But after that, it kind of just pff, gone. So that was Ducklow back then. Already a shameful moron. But it turns out that Duck Low began dating Axios reporter, Alexi McCammond, who, whose job was covering the 2020 Biden campaign. So one of the reporters at Axios, and you'll remember Axios for Jonathan Swan's very, very intelligent, very good interview of Donald Trump at the White House, where Jonathan Swan didn't know his COVID facts, among other issues, and made a fool of himself. But of course, no one in the target audience actually knew anything. So they thought Jonathan Swan totally destroyed, demolished, slammed the president. And of course, none of them knew after the fact that Jonathan Swan was wrong either. So they just remember Jonathan Swan is very smart and Axios as very serious. But it turns out that Axios has a reporter covering the Biden campaign who starts dating his deputy press secretary. No big deal, right? That just came out, by the way, as if none of the media knew prior. Except Alexi disclosed her relationship back in November. It's odd that they didn't disclose that before the election. Isn't it crazy how all the things that might make them look bad don't get exposed until after the election? Remember how Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation before the election? That's really interesting. Imagine we had a media that cared about doing its job. Only in dreams. Which brings us to today. And somehow Vanity Fair published this. Perhaps to try to spin it before it became a bigger problem. But here's what Vanity Fair writes. Behind the scenes, Ducklow had previously lashed out at Politico reporter Tara Palmieri, who was reporting the story exhibiting behavior that led to tense meetings between the Washington news outlet's editors and senior White House officials. The confrontation began on Inauguration Day, January 20th, after Palmieri, a co-author of Politico's playbook, contacted McCammond for comment while one of her male colleagues left a message for Ducklow, according to sources. Ducklow subsequently called a playbook editor to object to the story but was told to call the playbook reporters with his concerns. But instead of calling the male reporter who initially contacted him, Ducklow tried to intimidate Palmieri by phone in an effort to kill the story. I will destroy you, Ducklow told her, according to sources, adding that he would ruin her reputation if she published it. During the -the off-the-record call, Ducklow made derogatory and misogynistic comments, accusing Palmieri of only reporting on his relationship which, due to the ethics questions that factor into the relationship between a journalist and a White House official, falls under the purview of her reporting beat because she was jealous that an unidentified man in the past had, quote, wanted to fuck McCammon and, quote, and not you. Ducklow also accused Palmieri of being jealous of his relationship with McCammon. Palmieri had no prior relationship or communication with McCammond before calling her to report on the playbook item, which was a story that she was assigned and had not independently pursued. Well, that sounds like some cancel-worthy material. So get on it, me too. Get on it, time's out. Where are you? Time's up. (laughs) Time's out. Either way. Where are the progressive, liberal, woke, communist, feminists? Where are they? I'm sure there's a few on Twitter. But let's focus on Joe Biden for a moment. Because Joe Biden on January 20th said, I'm not joking when I say this. If you ever work with me and I hear that you treat another colleague with disrespect, Talk down to someone. I will fire you on the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. So you would expect that if something like that were to occur a mere three weeks later, Joe Biden would surely stick to his guns and do exactly that. He would fire you. Did he do it? No. Kucklow gets one week suspension without pay. And then he gets to go right back to work. As if nothing happened. Will people pursue him. For the rest of his life. Until he is fired. Will they call him a misogynist. Will they say that he's part of a rape culture. Even though there's no indication. He's ever raped anyone. And why not. Well because he's on Joe Biden's team. And then they'll argue that his suspension. Was totally appropriate as a response, that he doesn't need to be fired for this or that reason, that he, he maybe got a little bit offended because he was just trying to protect his relationship with this lovely reporter that everyone likes, and apparently so many people want to fuck. Right? Isn't that exactly what we're going to see? Joe Biden should have just given him after-school detention. That would have been appropriate too. Or he could have wrapped his knuckles with a ruler. Hey, commies, you can't be morally self-righteous all the time if you don't have any principles. Now, you might be asking yourself, has anyone circled back on this? Well, Jen back on Twitter wrote, TJ Cucklow." has apologized to the reporter with whom he had a heated conversation about his personal life. He's the first to acknowledge this is not the standard of behavior set out by the president. In addition to his initial apology, he has sent the reporter a personal note expressing his profound regret. With the approval of the White House chief of staff, he has been placed on a one-week suspension without pay. In addition, when he returns, he will no longer be assigned to work with any reporters from Politico. Oh, gosh. It's almost like he was exiled. It's almost like he was sent to bed without dessert. Go to your room, T.J. Kuklo. You're a bad, bad boy. This is basically the level of explanation that we were given by Melissa DeRosa, Andrew Cuomo's aide. The Biden team is not upset that T.J. Kuklo is a raging piece of shit. They're upset he got caught. If T.J. Kuklo felt intense, profound regret about his actions, why did it take him three weeks to apologize? Why did it take him getting caught and exposed to apologize? When did it become unfair to ask these questions? Oh, I remember it became unfair as soon as Donald Trump entered political life. Because as soon as that happened, everybody knows that the only thing that matters is getting Trump out of office And making sure that his supporters can never, ever, ever express their voices ever again. That's all that matters. So all the standards change. All the rules change. The former rules don't matter. Because now we have a priority. It would be a compliment to call this moral relativism. But the truth is, it's totally amoral. It's just that they do whatever the hell they want, and then they justify it and rationalize it later, knowing that they will not be held accountable, cannot be held accountable, and that everyone on their side will not only not hold them accountable, but they will actually support and defend the behavior. Awful, awful, awful. Oh, yeah, it's Donald Trump who made it like this such pathetic liars. And that is, in fact, how this hypocrisy comes about. No one holds them accountable. It's exactly what you've just seen in the impeachment. They say whatever they want. They lie and they cover the lies with emotion so that if anyone contests the lie, what you're actually doing Is contesting the emotions they felt. This is where we are now. They do whatever they want because no one holds them accountable. That opens up the field for rampant dishonesty, immorality, and hypocrisy. And they take the ball and run all the way down that field. This is the whole ball game for them. This is what they do. They don't have anything else. I've said this a million times because it's true. If they had arguments, they would make arguments. But arguments are time-consuming, and they require a degree of information that commies, Obamies, Romneys, and maskies do not have the time or interest to engage. So instead, they decide which position is morally right, and then they repeat the slogans, knowing that enough people exactly like them will be like, yeah, you're right, like a fucking circus seal, clapping its flippers together as it spins a fucking apple beach ball on its nose. Clowns. So let's get into the impeachment today was the fourth day of the sham impeachment and the first day where donald trump's defense made their case and they took four hours maybe a little less and then moved the proceedings on to the question phase so this will be wrapped up quite a bit earlier than we thought and thank goodness they didn't need more time you know i do kind of wish that they had done the election fraud stuff But I also thought that this was very effective. And the truth is, commies probably wouldn't have spent the time to watch the election fraud thing, and it would have turned this into something else. If there is another plan to address election fraud after this is over, I'm totally fine with this. I'm at least at the point where I will be patient and wait to see what comes out of all this. Because they did an excellent job of destroying the Democrat case. The Democrats didn't have a case. I've gone over this the last two days. But whatever case they had is over. They will likely get less senators, fewer senators, to vote to convict Donald Trump than they would have yesterday. Some of those senators who voted that the impeachment was constitutional in the first place, will likely have to vote to acquit him. It was that severe. There's no question about who did their job and who did not. The Democrat lawyers were absolutely horrific. Their case was horrific. They had no evidence. But we'll go through it. Early on in the defense's presentation. They showed video that included Antifa Black Lives Matter domestic terrorists rioting from last summer. And they talked about how some of them were present at the Capitol. And of course, that's true. The Democrats own video presentations show the truth of that. They use John Sullivan, Jaden X's videos, Insurgents USA, all the same guy. And how does the media run cover on the Democrats' obvious dishonesty, the total obliteration of their narrative, well, they do it the same exact way, with the same exact words that they used to dispute election fraud. NBC tweeted, and now this is from this morning, six hours ago. This would have been at, well, it's afternoon on the East Coast, 1.48-ish p.m. NBC News, fact check. Trump attorney suggests Antifa was involved in infiltrating Trump supporters during January 6th protests. That's actually true, so it doesn't need a fact check. But, NBC says, there's no evidence of widespread Antifa involvement. And no criminal complaints filed so far accuse anyone of being involved with Antifa. Well... Why is that? One reason is because the current fake Department of Justice is corrupt. Another is that the FBI is corrupt. John Sullivan was arrested and then immediately released. There is more than ample evidence of him being involved in other riots. There is also more than ample evidence of him specifically planning to be part of this riot in advance of the riot. So that right there is perfect evidence. There's also evidence of John Sullivan having recruited 226 other people to join that riot with him. His brother, his own brother, says that. Now, his, he and his brother were going to be the subjects of a Netflix documentary to make them look like heroes. And Jade Sacker, the photojournalist who went into the Capitol with him, was going to be the one to film it. She was the documentarian. Isn't that interesting? But let's focus on the wording of this NBC tweet. There's no evidence of widespread Antifa involvement. So there's not no evidence of Antifa involvement, because of course that would be a lie. There is evidence of Antifa involvement. They focus, again, just like election fraud, on the word "widespread." which is a word that indicates an opinion already. Well, what is widespread, you would have to ask them. How wide does it need to be spread before it's widespread? Because there's clear and direct evidence that one of the main instigators of this riot is tied directly to Black Lives Matter Antifa. And of course, the other thing they could be doing here is trying to differentiate Black Lives Matter and Antifa so that they could specifically focus on well, maybe there's no tie directly to Antifa. It's just Black Lives Matter. Don't want to answer that question, though, do you? Because then that opens up a whole new can of worms. No evidence of widespread Antifa involvement. They are lying and they are misusing language. Instead of being direct and honest, they are carefully wording this phrase so that they can claim ignorance or claim a lack of evidence, knowing full well what happened, and this is intended to drive the narrative. This gives them cover. Now, one of the most interesting moments of the early part of today was when Donald Trump's defense attorneys got up and showed the tweets that Eric Swalwell showed the other day and talked about where these tweets came from. Now, these are the ones talking about how this woman, Jen, Jennifer Lawrence, not the actress. That would have been amazing if Jennifer Lawrence, the actress that everybody loves, had said something. But not quite. So she was talking about how they were going to bring the Calvary, Calvary, not cavalry. And, you know, I don't know what to make of that. I think she may have been intending to write cavalry, but she certainly didn't write cavalry. She wrote Calvary. So unless they're planning to know what she intended, then they're using bad evidence in the first place. Of course, They still doctored the tweets after that. And Trump's defense attorneys pointed out that the impeachment managers, rather than compiling evidence or actually making their case with documentation of evidence and firsthand evidence and witness testimony. They instead spent their time doing photo shoots so that the media could pump up the reputations of the House impeachment managers. Which was necessary because they're all pathetic morons. And they're really, really, really bad attorneys. Them even being in Congress is proof of the privilege that now exists in this country for the corrupt and for the commies. They can do whatever they want. So their actual competence doesn't matter at all. They get into these positions because they get their law degree and then they get a job and they serve their masters and they get promoted and they serve their masters some more and they participate in whatever corruption they need to to continue advancing. And people like this, again, are amoral. They may be sociopaths because they always have a way of rationalizing or justifying their poor behavior. Their corruption doesn't actually matter because their corruption is carried out in the advancement of their cause. So they all agree that whatever it takes is totally fine because you have to remember that they are solving racism and solving poverty and solving climate. They're not actually solving any of those things. And very few of them can even have an intelligent conversation about those issues. But they're automatically good, so they can use those things to justify really whatever they want. But these tweets were interesting because in one of the photo shoots, Jamie Raskin was sitting at his desk at night with a big screen in front of him, and he was going over the evidence very, very sincere, very serious. And he was looking at the tweets on the screen that Swalwell eventually used. And on the screen, it had the date February 3rd, 2020. Now, that's clearly not when those tweets were from. And they also added a verified badge onto Miss Lawrence's tweet, even though she's never been verified. The tweets were obviously doctored. And remember, these are the same people who encourage social media To take down posts or fact check posts, even if they're memes, because they've been altered in some way. But the Democrats, for the Democrats, it's just fine to use these in an impeachment trial, even though they're not real. Or at least not real in the way they show them. I'm not disputing the fact that she actually did tweet that and that Donald Trump retweeted. it. That's fine. By the way, I just said February 3rd, 2020, I meant January 3rd, 2020, a couple of days before the very, very, very violent insurrection. And so the impeachment managers said that it wasn't that they were trying to mislead anyone, of course, they just had to recreate the Trump tweets because Trump's Twitter was deleted. Well, that's a lie. Either they had the screenshots of the tweets, or they didn't. And if they didn't have them, they shouldn't have tried to show tweets. If they had the quote of the tweets, they should have just used the quotes and said Donald Trump retweeted this. But they didn't do that. Jennifer Lawrence's picture was also different. In the one they showed, she was holding a firearm. And in the one on her profile, there was no firearm. Interesting how that works, isn't it? So the first couple hours of the Trump team defense was consumed mostly by showing video clips of all the senators and Democrat congressmen and women and their statements in the past about how you had to fight, how you had to fight in the streets. Over and over again, they said that. Fight in the streets. What did they mean there? That sounds Like they want their supporters to fight in the streets. And of course, that's what their supporters did all last summer, while they cheered them on. There's no denying that that happened. They did do that. They even, and I loved this, showed the insane writer of racist revisionist history, Nicole Hannah-Jones at the New York Times, talking about how property damage actually did not constitute violence. Again, pure communist mythology. It doesn't matter when they do it. And all of that stuff was brilliantly presented. And the Democrats were thoroughly embarrassed. And you can see by how much they freaked out and how poor their response was. Eventually, they took a break. The senators all left the room. It was supposed to be a 15-minute break that turned into 45 as they've been doing, I imagine that Senator Leahy and Senator Schumer and probably Senator McConnell thought it would be a good idea if they waited a little bit longer so that any of the communists watching the display, because many of them had never seen Trump's actual speech in context, many of them had never seen Trump's Charlottesville speech in context, many of them had never seen The violence and the looting and the burning that Black Lives Matter, Antifa, domestic terrorists did last summer. So what they tried to do was just simply call it whataboutism. That's what they say for everything when they get called on hypocrisy. I don't know where this term took such hold in our culture. I think it was probably on CNN, because Don Lemon loves it. And Chris Cuomo loves it. But it's not what about when their hypocrisy is directly related to what they are accusing someone else of doing, especially when they have absolutely no evidence whatsoever anywhere at all that Donald Trump encouraged or incited violence when he specifically said the opposite? They show clips of Jonah Goose talking about how Donald Trump said. You need to get your people to fight. Of course, he took that video clip completely out of context. He clipped it right there. But Donald Trump's next words were about how people needed to go tell their representatives to fight for them. And if they didn't fight, then they should be primaried. Not only is that totally acceptable political speech, that's good Positive political speech. He literally told them the peaceful, legal, constitutional way to handle their own representatives if their representatives failed to object to a fraudulent election. And so now during this break, they have the cameras on in the Senate hallway, and some reporters gathered there will try to ask senators questions. And Chris Coons, Joe Biden's little buddy in Delaware, stopped and answered some questions. It was really great. And rather than making any statements on his own behalf or statements of opinion, Chris Coons asked them a question. How could the president not know that they were attacking the Capitol after he told them to? Once again, and this was present throughout the day, They assume the conclusion in the premise of their argument. They know for a fact, because everybody's seen the same video, that Donald Trump didn't do the thing they're accusing him of, but they still use it anyway. Donald Trump didn't know. How could he not know of this attack when he told them to do it? He got mad that Trump's defense showed videos, clips of the members of the Senate and the Congress saying that they should go out and fight, that they wanted to punch Trump in the face, stuff like that, you know, very peaceful, mostly peaceful talk. And Coons got mad that these videos were showed with, quote, no context and no explanation that was literally the Democrats' entire case. And so that Coons couldn't be accused of misleading the reporters, he then said, well, we weren't saying those things to a mob on the day of vote certification. Apparently it's different if you say it to a mob. But then again... The people that Donald Trump said that to weren't in any way a mob. They were people watching a speech. And before the end of Donald Trump's speech, the riot at the Capitol had already started. So whatever mob Donald Trump was saying that to, it wasn't the mob that was already in the Capitol. Because I'm thinking they probably didn't have their YouTube live going. While they were fighting with Capitol Police officers, or being allowed inside by Capitol Police officers, you know, what really happened. The Democrats' entire case rests on the idea that they believe everyone else is as stupid as they are. They believe that they can say anything they want, and everybody's just going to believe them. Sometimes I actually try to consider whether or not they can actually believe the things they're saying. And maybe they can. Maybe they are so ignorant and so blind to everything that doesn't fit their narrative that they just kick it right out. That's possible, I guess. But otherwise, how in the world do you just depend on such flimsy nonsense actually Substituting for a substantive case. They believe everyone is stupid. Reporters caught up with Ron Johnson from Wisconsin as well. And Ron Johnson basically said the Democrats have no chance. They did such a bad job. Trump's lawyers absolutely destroyed their entire case. I think he said that their arguments were eviscerated. And apologies if I'm misremembering, but it was something to that effect. It's pretty obvious to any reasonable person in that room or anyone who's not completely corrupt that the Democrats failed to make any case, much less a convincing one. There is no chance in the world that they're going to get 17 Republicans to sacrifice their future in politics and vote to convict Donald Trump. That's not going to happen. It was probably never going to happen, but now they don't even have to worry about optics or any of it. They can easily defend themselves on what Trump's defense gave them today. Mitt Romney declined to comment. He just snuck on past. He just glided his way through. Good old mittens. But one Democrat who did comment is communist moron Maisie Hirono, the stupidest person in public life outside of Eric Swalwell and maybe a few others. But she's a real dumb. And she went again and again to the big lie. I talked about that at the end of yesterday's episode and don't want to rehash. But the big lie idea is absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't matter how many times they say it. Not only is the claim of widespread election fraud not a lie, it's not in any way the big lie as defined by literal Nazis who came up with that term. The Democrats have no problem using that term. She said that the president said nothing to stop the riots. Now that's literally false. And she was just shown five or 10 minutes before that, that Donald Trump tweeted a little over an hour after the riot started, that everyone should go home in peace and love. And he wants no violence. He did do that. And then he put out the video and people responded to that and left again if a million people want to occupy the Capitol building after they're already inside and after the defenses have been broken down, they can do it, and they didn't do it. They went home. She said the focus is on what he did, not what everyone else did. It's so childish. She stuck to the original argument that the, that the Democrats had made that he was inciting violence. So it actually doesn't matter if the Democrats had incited violence before. This was about whether or not Donald Trump had incited violence for January 6th. And of course he hadn't. It's clear by looking at the speech, which is the purpose of the charge of incitement in the first place, a charge they never should have brought up, and they never should have voted to impeach upon because it was always bullshit. And you can thank Friar Cuck for that because he wrote it. She said, it's like an alternate universe. Well, yeah, dum-dum. But it's you who's in the wrong universe. Again, if they actually believe the narrative that they've been repeating in the media as they just bring out talking points over and over and over again, they all say the same thing. It's about Donald Trump never being able to run again. Because something like this could happen again if Donald Trump runs. We don't care. We don't think Donald Trump would win, just like he didn't. He totally didn't win this last election. We care because if he loses, then he might make the, a riot again. Insane. They don't believe that. And no one else should either. We have to be confident enough in our ability to parse words and meaning and intent to understand that this is a lie and that these people are liars. And so Maisie Hirono, she starts saying, well, you know, I want to know this and that. And she says, I hope someone asks these questions. She said that right before the Senate was about to reenter the chamber for the specific purpose of asking questions. If Maisie Hirono had questions, she could have asked them, but she didn't. She took a pass on that opportunity. Maisie Hirono is not a serious person. So the question section begins, and Trump's lawyers, a couple of them, Castor and Vanderveen, They're the ones who take this part of the charade. They're the ones who are taking the questions. They have a few papers here and there in front of them, maybe like a legal pad. On the other side, the Democrats had four or five of their impeachment managers, binders upon binders upon notebooks upon papers, all down their desk. And each and every one of them took the papers to the podium when they would answer the questions. And they read their answers off these papers. Now, I'm not saying that they can't do this. Of course they can. But it's quite clear that they knew what the questions were going to be in advance. They actually set out the arguments. They had them bullet pointed. If you watch Stacey Plaskett, for instance, or Fryer Cuck, you can really watch any of them. But the fact that they have scripted responses to these questions means that these aren't really questions. These are narrative setups. That's the first problem. The second problem is when you have the script in front of you, you're not thinking on the fly, you're not reasoning, you're not actually engaging the question at all. You're reading. And because they're not thinking, they expend that brain power trying to feign different emotions. And trying to feign seriousness. They want people to believe on the force of their emotions that they're operating in good faith and goodwill. But they're not. They're putting on a show. It's a display. They want clips for the evening cable news. They want to be able to have their Twitter crowds say yes, Queen." that's pathetic. But it's exactly what they're doing. Rather than thinking on the fly, they read from a script and they fake emotions. This is what they always do. This is the point of the communications of these communists all the time. All the time. Do I mean all literally? No, I mean it hyperbolically. Thank you very much for asking. So almost all the time. Okay, commies? Now we can agree and move on. Excellent. So communist Jamie Raskin, a.k.a. Friar Cook, got a question from the commies about the court rulings, about the big lie. And Raskin lied about the court rulings. This is what they always say. He lost 61 cases in a row. There are still open cases about this election. One week from today, on February 19th, the Supreme Court is going to decide whether or not to take multiple cases on this election. Actually, I think that they may have delayed decision on one or two of those till February 26th. So the next two Fridays, we're going to get answers about the Supreme Court taking election cases. Everybody gets to pretend that this is somehow over and that they crossed the finish line because they ran the clock out. That's not the case. Donald Trump has not conceded. But Friar Cuck lied about the court rulings. And the next time someone brings up the court ruling issue as an argument in favor of their position, the communist position, ask them if they can describe any of the court cases. One single case from any of the states. Ask them to tell you what a court case was about. Tell me. Kami, what were any of those court cases about? Can you describe one for me? And of course they can't. And then you might as well ask them, just to hammer the point home, if they can give you the details of the Breonna Taylor case, the actual details, not their story, not the one they got off Instagram memes, the real story on what happened with Breonna Taylor or Jacob Blake or George Floyd, dealer's choice, they can't answer those questions either because the truth is they don't care. They don't give two shits about the details. They care about repeating the slogan because they think the slogan is automatically true based on who says it. But it's not automatically true because there's overwhelming evidence of election fraud. There's also overwhelming evidence that not all the courts agreed with them, and that none of the courts actually saw the evidence. Friar Cuck directly lied about that. He said that's why the courts threw it out, that the cases were ridiculous, that there was no basis, no constitutional basis for any of them, and of course, no evidence. Not true. Just simply not true. And they know. They do know. So Stacey Plaskett got up, and uh, she was reading from her papers. She got the questions beforehand, of course, just like a Jen uh, a circleback press conference. And her answer relied entirely on speculation about what Trump knew and when he knew it. Now, we're talking about the timeline of his response to the violence at the Capitol. And Trump's defense had already pointed out that there were ample warnings of problems beforehand. And that Trump had already given permission for the National Guard to be activated. And that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell didn't want any extra support for the Capitol Police. And Muriel Bowser didn't want any extra support. They were concerned about optics, which would be an interesting claim to dissect if it was important. Sure, optics could be bad if you have, say, tens of thousands of National Guard troops and a fence erected around the seat of our government for political proceedings that are deemed to be legitimate by our media and other communists. But, oh, wait, that's exactly what they have right now. And just yesterday, Ted Lieu said that those troops are all there because Donald Trump hasn't conceded and hasn't admitted that the election was legitimate. And he never will because the election wasn't legitimate. But they were worried about optics for the 6th when there was an actual problem that they knew would happen, that they had intelligence about. Optics were an issue then. Optics are no issue now, even though Washington, D.C. is still a military green zone. Does that make any sense to anyone? These people are literally so stupid that they admit the the problems with their own behavior as they attempt to push the responsibility for the same behavior onto someone else. So they know the behavior is problematic. They're saying it. They just don't recognize that they're actually the ones doing it. And of course, I'm giving them credit by saying they don't recognize. The likelihood is that they know exactly what they're doing and exactly why they're doing. It. So Stacey Plaskett, who, whose giant boobs were all over the internet yesterday and who got money from Jeffrey Epstein, no big deal. She's making up what Trump must have known and when he must have known it and what he must have thought about that information to do what they say he did, which they also don't know. And it's so natural for them to make up what Donald Trump actually meant or what Donald Trump really said, even though it's not in his words, because they've been doing it for five years. And of course they make up what his supporters think too. This is what they do. She ended her little answer in that segment, by saying that Donald Trump must be convicted and acquitted. <laughs> and she was corrected momentary, like moments after, and uh, whatever. It was a slip of the tongue, but it was a hilarious one. And Plaskett got a few turns in a row, and that was one of the more embarrassing parts of the day for the communists. She claimed that The press knew Capitol Police were outnumbered by thousands of insurgents with weapons. I mean, it was on TV. And we all know that Donald Trump is a huge fan of cable television and just always watching television. So he must have known. And she said that he failed to do anything about the riots. He never said that it must stop, but he did do that. And they had already shown it in his tweets. And with the video. He did say to stop. One thing he never said. Was that it should have started. Of course that doesn't matter. They're literally claiming. He did the opposite. Of what he did. In both scenarios. In actuality. He did not say for them to start. But they claim he did. In actuality he did say. For them to stop. And they claim he didn't. And she Quoted Friar Cuck from the day before, saying that he had asked, Why didn't the president do anything for two hours? And now she's actually misquoting Friar Cuck because Friar Cuck said that Trump didn't do anything for three hours. So I guess they're already scaling back that lie. And of course, mittens have to try to get his narrative in there, his anti-Trump narrative in there. And so he complained that Donald Trump said Mike Pence had no courage at the very same moment that Mike Pence was evacuated and hiding. Do they have proof of that? Hmm. No. I mean, it's possible that Donald Trump knew that when he said that about Mike Pence. It is possible. am not trying to cover for Donald Trump. They don't have any proof, of course, that he knew it. And so we have no reason other than assumption to say that he did, but who cares, right? Mike Pence actually did have every opportunity to exercise some courage and he failed to do so. That's on Mike Pence. So then failed presidential candidate, Amy Klobuchar, who now does whatever she's told, comes up and basically asks the question, Or she sends her question in. But her question is more or less, if we don't convict Donald Trump here, what does that tell the future generations? And this is a very, very common argument for the commies. They love this one. They're always basically saying, if you don't do what I want you to do, what's going to happen in the future? Well, I'll answer the question for you, Amy. Hopefully, in the future, you won't try to impeach anyone without any proof that they did the thing you're accusing them of. How about that? That would be a great precedent to set. Acquitting Donald Trump of this ridiculous charge is also a great precedent to set. It might tell the country that what you're doing is indefensible. It's utterly insane. It's not remotely unifying. It's not justified in any way. It's purely a political game because you thought you were going to get a big show and get lots of plaudits from everyone, just seals clapping as they bounce their pretty ball. But it didn't happen. What message will we be sending? We'll be sending the message that the rule of law actually matters, that having evidence matters, that due process matters, that honesty matters, that morality matters. That's the message we'll be sending, Amy. What message are the communists sending by stealing an election? pretending it wasn't stolen, attacking and censoring anyone who can actually view the evidence with a normal-sized adult brain, what message is that sending? So Plaskett gets back up, and you knew it had to be coming at some point, but she whipped out the race card. You thought I was going to say her giant boobs. But no, the race card. She played the race card. She said that it was not lost on her that in the videos that Trump's defense showed, there were women and women of color saying the word fight and that that was out of bounds or somehow racist to show Communist, WOC, saying fight. Because why? Because they're presenting the angry black woman trope? Really? Is that what you're going for? And just when you thought the communists couldn't get any lower, Stacey Plaskett plays the race card. Desperation, panic. That's what that is. It's pathetic. We're above that. That is what divides the country. What is the alternative? That if you are a person of color, by any definition, then you're allowed to do whatever the hell you want. You can say whatever you want, and your own words can never be used against you. They basically tried to play that game with Raphael Warnock. Before his election. Because it came out. That he was actually abusive. Did that matter? Nope. And it takes a certain kind of. Cynical courage. To hold this proceeding. Where you are trying to take. 75 million Americans. Who supported Donald Trump. And paint them all. With the same broad brush that Trump is dishonest, angry, evil, racist, privileged, etc. And so his supporters are too. And they don't bother proving the first case, of course, because they can't. But the second case, they don't even try to prove. They just slime 75 million Americans, or probably way more. But 75 million Americans as the same type of person, the same type of low-life, uninformed, unsophisticated loser. That's what their case is. That Donald Trump supporters are so violent and so unthinking that they will take his words as license to go be violent at the Capitol. We know that's not what happened. But in their minds, that's exactly what happened because that's what they think. Of 75 million people. So Trump's defense was showing video of what specific people actually did which is entirely relevant to those same people accusing someone else of having malicious intent while doing the same thing but they're just fine. Trump's defense was not trying to paint 75 million or 81 million for sure, more like 50 million. Communists as being responsible and responsive to the statements that the Democrat leaders make, that wasn't the Trump defense argument at all. The argument was, this is normal political speech and everyone is allowed to make it. That was the argument. It wasn't whataboutism. It wasn't even that you're hypocrites, though they are. It was that this is more than acceptable political speech, and with no words whatsoever in Donald Trump's actual speech that indicate incitement, we really can't go down this road. That was their argument. Moments later, brand new California communist, Senator Alex Padilla, who, recall Gavin, chose to replace Kamala Harris asked a question about the big lie of the last four years. He said that his role as California Secretary of State being intimately involved in elections, he knew how big the big lie was. But he said the big lie of the last four years, and what exactly was he talking about there? Was he saying that Donald Trump has been pointing out that this would be a fraudulent election for four years? I don't think he was saying that. Like, I don't even think Trump was doing that. He may have said something about it. I don't recall that and of course Castro jumped in with his common nonsense saying that Donald Trump had in fact said that the election would be rigged six months in advance and that how could he know that well I would argue that saying hey the other party is trying to rig the election six months before the election." is a wonderful time to bring that up so that the country might be able to fix those problems before the election so we don't have the disaster that we had, the one that Time Magazine somehow describes as saving America. That is the right time to ask those questions. Castro multiple times Referred to senators, even singular senators, as y'all. And now, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that term. But stop faking, you fool. Trying to pretend that you're down home and a man of the people and all this bullshit is beneath the office you hold. It's not how you talk. And then Castro got called out for saying that Trump encouraged his supporters to fight to the death based on a tweet where Trump had said if this was happening to the Democrats, their supporters would have fought to the death. Those are not at all the same. And Castro got called out on that. And his defense was that he surely knew what Trump meant, as always they know what Trump means, and so they can just say what Trump means, and then that becomes a fact. Their opinion of something Trump said, their opinion about his state of mind and his his intent, then becomes an irrefutable fact that they can use in their case, even though there's no evidence that they're correct about their assumption. Now, Josh Hawley got up and asked a very interesting question because the argument this week that was made was that even without the possibility of removal from office, since they're talking about trying a former official, could they still separate the part about the removal from office and the part about never being allowed to run again? Could they use that for a current official? that they didn't want to kick them out of office. They just wanted it so that the person could never run again. And I mean, if that's, if that's the standard, they could just do that to every first-term president. As long as they have the votes in the House, they can impeach a first-term president, not to kick him out of office or her out of office, but just to make sure that they can never run again. Does that make sense to anyone? Well, it made sense to Friar And when Friar got to respond about how he and many other Democrats had historically, for decades, challenged electors on January 6th, his defense was that those objections didn't happen after a very violent insurrection. Once again, assuming the conclusion of his argument, and then imagining that while the point of the question was about the legitimacy of challenging electors, he thought the principle at play here was that after the insurrection, then it was appropriate. then it was inappropriate, sorry, to challenge the electors. You can't do it if there's a riot. At that point, all bets are off. Every senator just has to approve of the electors, regardless of the amount of election fraud, regardless of any prior complaints. Everybody just has to accept it because now now there's been a riot. And now we can't ask the questions anymore. So all you have to do is get a bunch of communist scumbags to riot like they do any time the Democrats call on them. And at that point, your argument is over. You're not allowed to raise any issues, even though the future of the country depends on it. This is the sort of logic they use. And let's not forget, these Antifa terrorists, Antifa Black Lives Matter terrorists, they arrived there on buses. They arrived there together. This was planned and coordinated and funded. In response to another question, Friar Cuck and many of the other managers, Stace Card Plaskett, Sleeping with the Enemy, Swalwell, they all said that this riot would not have happened if not for Donald Trump's actions. And by actions, they mean the fact that he has challenged the election results, the fake election results, as he should have. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. You're not supposed to let one party commit crimes and disenfranchise 75 million voters. But they made the argument that Donald Trump was responsible for all this because he is the only one that could have prevented it. Now that too is a lie, really. He's the only one who could have prevented it. We're supposed to believe that. You know what would have prevented it? Auditing the vote. Allowing the evidence to come out. The media actually covering it and telling the American people the truth. Because in that case, the election would have clearly been overturned. And by overturned, I mean it would have been obvious that the media and the Democrats were lying. Because there's absolutely no evidence that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. That is just a fabrication. And they can't prove that he did. And they will never prove that he did. In fact, if proof is ever asked for, and if those machines are ever properly examined, it'll be quite clear that Joe Biden did not win the election. They also keep lying about what Bill Barr said. They keep saying and just taking it as one of those truths that everybody knows that Bill Barr investigated and said that there was no proof of election fraud. What Bill Barr actually said was at the point that he was asked the question, that at that time he had seen no proof. Were there massive Department of Justice investigations going on at the time? No, there certainly were not. So how would he have seen the proof? Bill Barr chose not to see the proof, and he didn't look for the proof. So that entire line of argument is absolutely specious. So, Card Plasquette went back up to the podium to answer the assertion by Trump's defense that it actually wasn't their responsibility to bring out evidence to show that Trump didn't do something that he was accused of when the prosecuting party in this case had not presented any proof that he did do it. They were operating on hearsay. And Friar Cuck decided to refer to this argument. That he had sent a letter to Donald Trump inviting him to testify. And that since Trump declined that, that he had also given up his right to the assumption of innocence. That Friar Cuck now had the right, because Donald Trump didn't show up, to say whatever he wanted and have that assumed to be true. That's his brilliant legal mind at work. And of course, States guard Plaskett argued that the defense should be bringing in evidence. She said that the president did not defend the capital of this country. And she did it very emotionally. So everybody knows how honest she's being. And they couldn't present evidence that that's not true. Well, that's not their job. She said the defense could have brought exculpatory evidence and that could have exculpated the president. Now, if one of the words in the sentence I just said sounded like it's not actually a word, it's because it's not. Exculpated is not a word. Stace card good old Jeff Merkley from Oregon, his question was unbelievably long, but it started out with if the president spins a big lie about blah, 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 blah. And then the question was probably a minute and a half long of reading, but it was Merkley's own entire narrative about what happened. It wasn't really a question. It was him inserting a narrative. And none of it made sense. None of it was reality. But he put it up there anyway. And of course, he assumed the conclusion that Donald Trump incited an insurrection. And then he was like, is this okay? And Fryer Cook's like, it's not okay. It's not okay. At one point, Trump's defense mentioned the statements from Kamala Harris about how the people needed to rise up in the streets and they would not stop and they should not stop and Friarcock got up there and laughed that comment off he said I certainly don't know any time where the vice president would have said something like that but she can answer that question for herself I'm sure <laughs> everybody knows that that's not the kind of person the of Harris is except it was already showed to them in video today. It was literally part of the video presentation. In fact, it was shown multiple times. The idea that Friar Cuck didn't know this is insane. Perhaps he just didn't watch any of the videos, or maybe he just blocks them out because they bring up past traumas. The trauma of him having to face the truth. Apparently, it is just too much for any of these people to deal with emotionally having to face the obvious fact that everything they're saying is false. They're not psychologically okay with confronting that. Ted Cruz asked a question about Friar Cuck's new definition of incitement. Since it wasn't the legal definition of incitement, based on case precedent. It was Raskin's own definition. And Raskin actually made a new definition as part of the answer to this question. But Friar Cuck's main response was that we all know this is what happened. The things that we are saying, that we impeachment managers are saying, We all know that this is what happened. We're describing this accurately, and we all know it. Everybody knows it. And there it is again, that ultimate bit of communist intellectualism. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. They use that argument all the time. And the commies that you'll deal with and the Obamis and Romneys and Maskies will all use the same argument. Everybody knows that masks work. Everybody knows that lockdowns work. Everybody knows that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous. Everybody knows that George Floyd was a great man. Look at how he painted his face on the walls. Look at how everybody came out to solve racism just for this guy. Everybody knows that George Floyd died from the police officer's knee on his neck, even though he died of a fentanyl overdose. Everybody knows that the police wrongly entered Breonna Taylor's apartment. Everybody knows that the police shot first. Everybody knows that Breonna Taylor was in bed. Everybody knows that COVID is very deadly. Everybody knows that this vaccine is very good. Everybody knows that the first people who should be given the vaccine are black people and peasants because the vaccine is so very good. And because they, you know, they get the shit end of the stick all the time. So we might as well give them the front end of the needle. Everybody knows. And in the final bit of Friar Cuck's case, He argued the that can't be right argument because he doesn't like what the law and the facts actually say and they're not leading anyone to the conclusion that he wants. His new case is that the law and that reality shouldn't be that way. That can't be right. That can't be right. Trying to make this moral plea. Then we're going to allow something morally wrong to happen if we don't do what I say. And we can't do that because that can't be right. They already assume that their point of view is correct. They already assume that that their morality is good and principled because it's them doing it. But they have no morality. They have no principles. And this entire impeachment was an embarrassing sham. Now, as the impeachment ended, the Senate in full voted to award the Congressional Gold Medal to Eugene Goodman, who is the cop that we've seen in videos that went viral or semi-viral, who's running up the stairs and not actually stopping any of the rioters from going further into the Capitol building. And it's claimed that what he was doing was actually making himself the bait to lead them away from the Congress people and the senators that they wanted to, quote unquote, kill because that's totally what was happening. And they wouldn't have killed him. They would have just done whatever he said. He was the bait. And so they followed him, but they didn't kill him even though they were on a killing spree. Why? Why? Why wouldn't they have killed him if he was the bait? They weren't violent to him at all. Strange, isn't it? Now, I've talked about this before, and it's possible I'm wrong. The video looks very convincing to me that he was just allowing people further and further into the building, but maybe he was the bait. Maybe he led them off, and maybe he saved some congresspeople and senators from a run-in with those rioters or those intruders, or those insurrectionists, or whatever they are. It's possible, it's possible I'm wrong. It's possible the way that I've talked about this is wrong, but I don't think so. And when you see a display like today, where Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell go and award this guy, they pick him out specifically Out of all the security people there that day, they pick him out specifically to honor him. It is interesting the narrative that they're creating about what happened and about what we see on video. And there will be no point in my life where I ever trust Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell or anyone aligned with them. So I don't trust their narrative either. And I hope I'm not slighting Mr. Goodman by saying that. If I am, If that is proven, if I become convinced of that, I'm happy to apologize. But for now, I don't trust it. Anyway, the impeachment proceedings have come almost to an end. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time, they will reconvene and hopefully they will just put it up to a vote or maybe they'll debate a little longer. Maybe there will be more questions and maybe the Democrats will further embarrass themselves and maybe I'll be highly entertained by it. I hope all those things are true. But if they're not, then the impeachment is over. The vote will be the vote. Some people will identify themselves as traitors and as Romneys. We already know who the Romneys are. But it's amazing. I bet some of them back off because they know that their political careers will be over at that point. So we'll see. But this entire thing has been a farce, a charade. And thank goodness that Trump's defense attorneys treated it as such. They were embarrassed to have to be there in the first place. And they expressed that. And they were right to express that. Because it is embarrassing. It's a disgrace what the Democratic Party does to this country over and over and over again. The sheer immorality, the sheer dishonesty of it all it's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's beneath this society. And the people who are continuing to support this and to support Joe Biden and to support the Democrat old guard agenda should honestly wake the fuck up. You're embarrassing yourself. You should be ashamed. It is an embarrassing shameful position based on no knowledge and only on prejudice and hatred for Donald Trump and for his supporters. And that's it. And that's a disgrace. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye.